Hello and welcome to the Tech Map Podcast. I am your host for the show. My name is Andy Bargery. In this episode, right before Christmas 2015, we are talking all about content. And content seems to have been one of those subjects that's been on all of our lips a lot, at least for the last 12 to 24 months. And we seem to have gotten to a point where there's content everywhere and I mean everywhere it's not just blog posts anymore it's slides it is podcasts just like this it is video and photographs and you name it there is content being produced by the bucket load but about five six weeks ago we had a presentation by a guy called Will Nicholson from an agency called um, TVN and Will said uh, something that I thought was quite interesting he said there is no point making a piece of content if no one is going to see it. And I couldn't agree more with all of this content going on. How do we make sure that what we're producing cuts through the noise and gets seen and makes a difference? And Will talked a bit about how they at the Vision Network are working with their clients to measure and make sure the content they're producing is seen. And that might be a video, it might be a digital ad, it might be some out-of-home advertising. And so as we approach the end of the year, I thought, look, let's get Will and one of his colleagues, a chap called Nigel Foot, onto the show to talk to us about how do we make sure that the content we're producing gets seen and how do we measure the value of that. So without further chat from me, let's get straight on with the show. Will, Nigel, good morning. Welcome to the Tech Map Podcast. Good morning. Hi. Morning. How, how are you both? Very well, thank you. Very well, yep. Almost Christmas. Yeah, I'm really pleased you've made the time to join me today, given that we are just a couple of days ahead of Christmas 2015. So uh, thanks for making the effort. Why don't we kick off by you both introducing yourselves to our listeners? For sure. Um, my name's Will Nicholson, and I run a content company called The Vision Network. We make content, films, print, web, we write stuff, we do webinars, we do anything around content. Very good. Welcome, Will. Hi, and I'm uh, Nigel Foote, and I uh, consider myself a commerce effectiveness expert. So I'm partnering with Will on a new venture, uh, TVNI, uh, and really we're all about uh, visual engagement, optimizing content for visual engagement. Uh, and my experience uh, varies from being account planner in full service agencies to optimizing experiential in uh, PR agencies and working in media as a media strategist and uh, senior senior leader there. Excellent. So, so the, the one word that you both use quite a lot there is content. And obviously we are here today to talk about content. And I guess the impetus behind this is, Will, you spoke at our TechMap meetup, must be, I'd say, five or six weeks ago. And you said something there, I think it was, there's no point making a piece of content if no one is going to see it. And I think in today's content-filled world, that's, um, that's pretty accurate. So what I was hoping to do today was just to have a talk around that topic area. How do we make sure that we are producing good content that's going to be seen? How do we evaluate measure its effectiveness and how do we get some insights from that data that we are gaining so well why don't you talk a bit about the rise of content where's where's all this um where's all this content coming from and where are we going to get to do you think yeah well sure well, 
Well, clearly technology is an enabler of distribution of, of content. But if we start with why content's become so important, it can date back to, well, I've, I was traditionally on the media owner side for the last 15, 20 years, and, and Nigel was on the agency side. And the traditional media deal turned in very, very quickly into, a, into an integrated content deal. And it became quite obvious to a lot of people in, in, as, a, as media owners that you were no longer just selling pages, you were selling content solutions. And content solutions meant different things to different clients. And that's how at least I got into making different kinds of solutions. So it's as simple as getting a media brief but then solving it via content. Um, and yeah. that's how the Vision Network was formed. We, we started working for big clients, often media owners, doing the bit in the middle. So the the media owner would um, would offer something to a media agency and the client, and neither of them could really do it. So we did it, and that's how we got into um, all the all the filming and the writing and the digital work, and and, and now doing a lot of webcasts and, and stuff like good stuff like that. Um, well, that's a slightly but, different perspective to where I'm coming from because you know we we produce content as well, but we're more from the marketeer side rather than the media owner's side. So I probably have a different take on this altogether as well. So I think we've got an interesting balance on the on the podcast today. Yeah, well, um, it's it's um, when it's media. You were talking about how you how you what you get out of content. When it's media owner led, you have to have certain ROI deliveries. And, and that just wasn't good enough in traditional media because you couldn't work out. Um, you can get an opportunity to see, but not much, not much else. To get engagement, you needed clearly to actually speak and communicate with your audience in one way or another, whether it's a community online, whether it's an event, whether it's filming those clients for a series of videos about their businesses. This is the way you got engagement. Then, of course, technology over the last five years has taken over, which we can talk about a little bit later, and how that content's been amplified beyond belief. And, and all that good ROI is, is very accountable now as you can um, track the, you know, every click that happens. So, so let's strip it back to the, the basics then in terms of you know, what makes good content? What is it that is going to generate the ROI that as marketeers we're all desperate to achieve? Well, I think here you, you're really thinking about the benefit to the consumer of the content, so whether that's a marketeer, the B2B, or whether that's the consumer. And it's about being able to deliver engagement in the message, but also that successful message outtake of whichever form it might be. And I was just going to add to what you were saying before. The thing that I witnessed is, you know, the coming together of the sort of uh, create, or what we used to call the creative brief and the media brief into one overarching, um, you know, big idea, big comms idea. And as that's happened, you know, you've got to have things which are very holistic and joined up. And the need to deliver content in all its forms and all its different ways, all those different touch points that the, you know, end consumer or the end client needs to needs to be addressed in. I mean, that's the difficulty, and it is a difficulty. I think you know it's very hard to get creatives in any form of digital or advertising agency to think about all the different forms in which their message is actually going to be conveyed. And I think there you really need to get an understanding from the consumer, from the you know, consumer of the content, whether that's, uh, you know, a businessman or, or a consu end consumer, and how they engage with that content and take something out of it. It's got to be of relevance and it's got to deliver a benefit. So in other words, understanding who your audience is in the first place, what their needs and wants are, is the starting point for great content. So almost marketing 101. Yeah, but it's also about making sure that you react, that you get sort of forensic feedback 
from them, that you actually have a way of understanding how they've engaged, what their reaction is, so that you can improve that. And I think, you know, we need to take a, a bit of a lesson out of, you know, technology really, um, in terms of having an agile approach to research. So you're actually uh, learning from your mistakes in a way, you know, you're testing continually, rather than just assuming you have this beautiful work of art called an ad that just hits the hits the market and then you just hope it works. I mean, there's no need for that. You can test it in many different ways um, and you need to be doing that continuously. But that's not, the interesting thing is that didn't always happen, of course, and that's mm -hmm. why we set up TVNI recently, which is the I stands for Insights. And it's because people, in our experience, um, working for the Vision Network and probably you as well, Andy, in the content you make, if the client's happy with the content, it's, it's often a successful piece of content. But often the research and the evaluation of it um, happens, if at all, ages, um, in the a long time in the future. There wasn't a continuous loop of, of feedback on, on, on content that was happening, um, what the reaction was to the, um, to the consumer, and then affecting the creation of the content again. And that's what we're, by, by working with Nigel, that's what we're trying to, to, to fix. We're trying to create good content, but understand that, if we don't have, if we can't see a direct impact to sales from the content that we're creating, then we have to understand different ways in which it's working and um, and being responded by consumers, and that's the evaluation side. Though there is a bit in the middle, isn't there? There's the amplification of the media, of the um, of the content that we're creating. Well, just before just before you go on to the amplification, just to respond to that point, I completely agree. Is that what we've seen over the years is a shift from producing content that has an immediate impact to the, the the world in which we live being absolutely consumed with content. It's everywhere. So that now we don't necessarily look for a return or an impact immediately. And this is perhaps more content marketing than, um, you know, more B2B than consumer-led marketing. And, and we look for that that impact over time we look for a gradual improvement in search performance or website traffic for example or or better still we look to link that piece of content to an inquiry or a number of inquiries through a website or a web form but um but it takes longer these days a lot longer to actually see that return on investment from content and, and there was some conversation recently i think it was on the six pixels of separation podcast where they were talking about the idea that actually Content marketing is now more expensive than good old-fashioned advertising. So as a marketeer, why would I not invest my money in a good old-fashioned advertising campaign, um, which has a much more easily measurable impact? And, and that's hopefully where we're going to get to next, is to talk about that evaluation and that analysis, Will. But on that point as well about the creation and, 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 and creative becoming more, more expensive, there's, there are dual purposes for making content for clients that we find. I don't know if you do, Andy, but there's one which is a a solving a media or marketing problem and trying to sell to consumers but there's also an internal reason for making good content by understanding by positioning clearly what the internal products are and the positioning for themselves for their employees for investors and 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 before you didn't really have that you either had marketing or you had um, brochures now content is is almost the brand mission of a company and that's the exciting thing when we make content we often don't talk to content pieces about products that we sell we say what do you stand for as a business let's try to find a way we can weave those pillars of success um, of what you stand for through that content and I think that's a difference as well because content lasts the test of time it's, it's there forever um, advertising comes and goes 
Yeah, that, that's a really valid point. Is is and I, I'd agree with you. We're seeing less content that's more product focused and more that uh, talks about the impact in which a company can make on its customers or the value it provides for its customers. And through that, we weave those core messages that the the brand wants to get out. Something we've been doing a lot recently for a, a financial services or a fintech company um, in London. Building on that point, then, so how then do we start to analyze and understand and evaluate the impact of a of uh, some content and how do we then use that information to better enhance its performance going forward well, well there's sort of three levels here i mean there's one which is you know what we like to consider to be something that's actually seen i mean as you know to paraphrase will you, you want to know what's going to be seen so that you can see how it then translates into sales at the end of the day seen to sales but i think um, as important as something that's actually noticed uh, whether that's a logo, whether that's an inclusion within a piece of content, you also then want to understand what the relationship that people have with it. You know, what's their engagement? What's their level of engagement? Um, their emotional engagement, their recall of certain elements, um, and then to be able to actually see the impact of that through uh, measures that that are very much to do with how modern content actually translates into brand intent, and and that's tracking conversations. It's tracking an ROI, an uplift in those conversations through social channels um, and how that impacts in terms of, you know, uh, people searching for things and then actually, uh, you know, consuming them, you know, buying them. Okay, so tracking right through from the piece of content to how that's been seen and amplified through social media, for example, to what the impact is there on actual actual purchase. Right. Yeah, so it's a sort of holistic approach that gives you that feedback initially on the actual creative itself, allows you to make changes to then see the impact in, you know, when it's in market, when the campaign's actually running. Specifically, how we, um, I think, got together for this podcast is that um, you had an interesting tech map, Andy, on neuroscience. And one of the, um, one of the things we get involved with is, is eye tracking. And we have a, a piece of software which, which helps us to look at the content we're making for clients and giving a few options to see where people are looking and you know as as Nigel was talking about that's a very simple mechanism of how to just check just just have a litmus test on how the content is doing because if (laughs) we did some stuff recently when one of our clients put some beautiful content together but their brand and their image and their logo um, were nowhere to be seen and in fact no one saw them when you looked at the eye tracking test. So, so it was a lovely piece of art, but there wasn't any brand message to it. And how often do we see that all the time? But actually, um, cl- clients, marketers, agencies sometimes just need careful proof just to say, look, and let's just think about this again. Uh, but, but that's where the story begins. And, and where Nigel has really helped us understand is, is where you take that initial quite straightforward analysis and then, and, and then think a lot deeper in how consumers and are actually thinking about a piece of content, isn't that right, Nigel? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the great thing is that is the technique we use, um, you know, is a biometric technique for tracking uh, through uh, webcams. So it's at scale. So we crowdsource. Uh, we get a good quantitative sample that gives us feedback. You know, real proof, as as well said, for what people are actually looking at. But then we can also run both quant and uh, online qual. Um, to really dig into people's uh, understanding of what they've seen and what their reactions are. And, and we're now uh, doing that with uh, facial coding as well to get that emotive feedback. And that collective sort of quantum qual combination of sort of mixed methods really gives a very, very 
for detailed sort of forensic feedback that we can then work with uh, the creatives on. And I think this is a critical point. And I, I use the word, I mean, you can say evaluation, you can say testing. For us, it's very much about feedback early enough um, in the process so that you know we can improve that creative you know we can really optimize that creative because there's not much point having a set of you know uh, scores uh, that just become sort of uh, you know gathering dust in a tome in a, in a mm. research library for a big con you know consumer company or whatever it might be you need something that is active now that can give a diagnostic for how things can improve that you can act on so uh, Nigel, in, in near real time. At what stage of the, the, the life cycle of a piece of content then would you typically work? Is it before you put it out to market or is it, you know, you test it a bit first and then put it out or do you put it out, see how you get on for a, for a limited window? And, and, yeah, and I, think, I think the majority of the people we work with would be looking at it um, where it's at a, uh, you know, defined concept stage. So you've gone beyond the sketch for the particular piece of visual content, you're now looking at specific you know, elements. You may be looking at stock photography, but you haven't got the finished ad. So it's at a stage before then that allows you then to make those refinements. Because, you know, any content, especially if it's a visual uh, video or a, or a piece of visual content that's got a high level of finish, you know, it's going to cost you quite a lot to, to produce. Mm. So it's about getting early enough in the process where you've got a, a product that's that, that you can see what the intent is and what the quality will be, but you don't have to have it completely finished. And I think, you know, that works really well um, to be able to then give that feedback, get everyone around the table and say, look, you know, this is what isn't really being achieved with this wonderful piece of art, as Will said, or conversely, <laughs> this is the engagement you've achieved with the creative and has it translated to brand recall or to the message that you really want to get out there. And have you seen, uh, have you seen, or are there examples of clients or campaigns you've worked on where you've, you've, you've done some eye tracking and some facial coding, you've looked at how to optimize it, and then you've seen a significant uplift in performance on the actual execution versus the uh, the, the pre-testing, I suppose. Well, there's something uh, live at the moment, yeah. which is a, quite a simple idea, and we showed it at your tech map, which, which was the Heinz advert, bus adverts. So it's, That's if, right, the outdoor stuff, yeah. yeah. If people um, who are listening to the podcast are walking down the street in, um, I think it was nationwide, and look at the new, the new Heinz um, and you're waiting for a bus. Those Heinz ads were decided by our biometric testing. Um, <laughs> the color of them, where the bowl goes, where, uh, simple things, but, but there were eight different versions, and one um, was absolutely better than the others. So, and it just, it just goes down to simple things like color. I mean, it, it could have been blue or it could have been red. Well, red is obviously a color of warmth, so that did so much better. On Even though it's not cold at the moment, it seems to be... 20 degrees out there but um <laughs> but, but it's also about how, how you break the rules as well well isn't it i mean you know it's clear to us that visual engagement optimization really drives results and i think it can be as simple as having and, and normally is the case when you're doing sort of uh, advertising uh, assessment where you've got four or five different executions and you want to know which convey the detailed brand messages and you've only got that 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 outdoor that that poster ad or that magazine ad to be able to convey it um, and there we found working with lots of drinks clients that you can have like a three or four times factor in terms of effectiveness depending on which piece of creative will actually be running and the nice thing is is that you can break it down so I mean, I mean, like all of these things it's often best if you work with a range of different techniques but the advantage of, of, of the eye tracking element is that you can you know everyone immediately understands a heat map they understand how you know, people uh, want to decode the journey and how people are, are how their 
uh, engagement you know varies from element to element on a, on, on a page effectively you can show how people navigate the space you know whether they're looking at the headline first or the logo first and you show three or four different versions and you can say look the dwell time on the logo here is three times more than this one. Oh, and by the way when we asked the, you know, these recall questions or the, the outtake of the message questions you know, this one actually got the message across more that this is uh, something that you can serve cold, that you, you know, on ice, that it's mysterious, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and one of the best or an epiphany moment for me was, a, you know, a year or so ago when we were working with Jägermeister on their uh, UK launch where, you know, they had some very, very good worked up concepts that they thought were winners. And in fact, in fact, it was one particular piece that they didn't think was such a successful piece of copy that, that won over and really proved very effective. Um, so it's about breaking the rules as much as it is, you know, you know, it's allowing that creative freedom to be justified in a way, which I think is the, you know, the nicest thing about this. Mm. And, and linking it back to content a little bit is, it's, you know, we were talking about how content has many different objectives these days, making a good bit of content. And what Nigel also does, and, and with us and for other people in, in, in the past, is, is, is when he does the second stage, the, the deep dive qualitative research, he then takes people who have maybe done the eye tracking before, and then he does um, sort of focus group type analysis to find out um, where that, you just mentioned Nigel about um, the coding of the journey, to see where the journey was when they looked at that content and what they thought and what they felt. And we can do that via te technology, but we can also do it in person. And, and adding the two, combining, blending those two methods is really powerful. And also, really good way to understand what those people actually think about the company, what, what the content spoke to them about the actual company. Yeah, so, so you, so you can really consider the creative in context, which is really critical because, you know, not only do, do you want to know what that immediate feedback is, but also the why. And there, being able to engage with, you know, the crowd that we've tested, you know, or we've evaluated the content on, and then take a subset of that further forward and engage them uh, online in a conversation effectively is a very powerful way to dig deeper and really understand how we can improve things. And there you can start playing around and, and bringing in co-creative techniques to try and move things on. And I think if you've got the right balance of uh, marketing partners, you know, the agencies, the creative players themselves in the room with the client. And you can see when we go through this and how we evolve it and how consumers can relate, then you end up with a much sharper, much more optimized piece of copy that you can then, um, you know, get, you know, you know, feel much more confident in, in, in its success. What does that, what does that qualitative study look like? Is it's an online focus group of some sort, I assume, but how does that work logistically, I suppose? Well, um, the first stage is probably worth considering is that the um, the, the eye tracking part is 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 literally presenting a video or other piece of visual content to a, a crowdsourced sample, uh, which may obviously reflect the target group, and that could be anywhere in the world, and a makeup which could be quite complex, could be hundreds of people, um, and then taking a subsample, more like twenty or thirty people, into a uh, online bulletin board, as the technical term is. Uh, and this is an asynchronous environment, so people don't have to be live all the time. It's not as if we're having, you know, we're having the type of conversation. You can have it much more uh, amenable, much more like the social media that people are very comfortable with. Mm. So you're really working around their time. And there you'd present the creative again, but you'd then ask people to click on elements they liked or they didn't like, you know, uh, investigate their brand relationships, the competitive a relationship they may have, even ask them about their lifestyle and so on. So you're getting a very strong indication of, of where the appeal of that piece of content or series of, of, of elements or, or stimuli um, are more successful or not. But the important thing here is that this is all calibrated. So 
that's great in itself and often creative is assessed through core groups isn't it or, or online core groups um, but because you have this passive biometric quantified data prior so their first exposure is going to be up through through eye tracking facial coding you know if that's an option that people want to do then you have that benchmark so you're investigating the why you reacted that way rather than getting them to post justify which mm -hmm. i think is is pretty good you know often if you do uh in-person qual people feel there's like a presenter effect people want to try and please the person who's presenting stuff um this way they get a, quite an unbiased almost like an as natural view of the creative before or the content before uh, you then start the investigation and the two together work really really well mm, so it's really interesting and I, I think one of the 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 issues that's come up uh, over the years i suppose when you look at neuroscience techniques is the the fear of the cost or or not just the fear the reality of the cost of using neuroscientific or biometric testing tools but i think with the this eye tracking and the facial coding the costs have really come down to make this a much more accessible uh, tool is, is that right? Yeah, I mean the way we look at it again from the beginning of the content execution to now to then offering the facial coding and the eye tracking is that all of it can be in the same budget in a sense because it's not and and it's literally for the technical side it's hundreds not thousands. You're quite right, Andy. Um, just just a few years ago it was thousands of pounds to do this kind of stuff. Now it's hundreds of pounds to do single tests and then multiple obviously you know assets and more. But but um, but if you start off the process with in, I, I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on content anymore. I'm going to actually think guerrilla style content, understand content, very much like the stuff you do Andy, and we do. And then in that budget, work out, okay, let's have some money to evaluate it. Because as, you, as we said, the premise at the beginning is no, there's no point making content if it's not going to be seen. So um, I think more and more clients are doing it that way. Do you not agree? Um, Nigel, it's just it's just yeah, linking well, it together. Well, I think that's important. So I think I think you know cost efficiency is critical. So we we only wanted to do this venture, provided you know we could get the cost down. So that you know I would say there's no excuse. Is a bit rude, but you get through all of those barriers. <laughs> you know, you're not talking about thousands and thousands of pounds to assess stuff. You're talking hundreds. If you get down to that level, why wouldn't you do this? So it's about being cost efficient, but it's also about being collaborative. So like I said, even the way, and I have, uh, I realize I've used the word test a few times as well myself, but trying not to use those types of words, but trying to use words like feedback, because it really is about trying to improve and optimize, uh, you know, the wonderful piece of content that people have been spending a lot of time trying to, trying to work on. And it's not about scoring them against some norms that, that you know, win or, win or fail or pass or, 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 or not pass. And I think, you know, cost efficiency goes together with the collaborative view. And I think that's the thing that, that, that makes us a little bit different. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to have that in mind that we're in a continually testing and improving environment with digital marketing as you have yeah. that ability to put something out there, see how it goes, tweak it, modify it, put it back out, and then look for those incremental improvements over time, whether it's a, a piece a piece of ad creative or whether it's um, a video, white paper, whatever that piece, that, that asset might be. Um, so I think that's interesting. And, and I think the point around this being hundreds rather than thousands to use this kind of technology and these techniques means, as you said, um, well, you didn't want to say, but you did, is there's really no excuse now to, to think about using these kind of techniques to em enhance the success of our content marketing campaigns. Because Andy, the thing is that where most of the money, well, Traditionally, most of the money was spent on creative, but recently, where most of the money is spent is the amplification side of content. Mm, absolutely. And on the media side, on, on other techniques. And, and as people have been in the marketplace for a number of years, and 
just the idea being there's no there's no point spending those millions of pounds marketing or, or putting media spend behind content that doesn't work. So why why not spend the effort up front and continuously to understand how that content's working? And then we can use interesting amplification models. And and we were talking about that a little bit as well, weren't we? So because I think there's you you almost start from making the content, then you evaluate it, then you can say, now where do we put it? Um, which techniques can we use? Which technologies can we adopt to make sure that that content is um, is seeded or pushed into the right place at the right time? Absolutely. The right way. And th- and that's where we're we're really seeing the the merging of uh, paid, earned, and owned, isn't it? Really, it's no longer a case of I've produced some content. Let's let's push it out through our website, through our social channels, whatever that that um, content distribution strategy looks like. It's now much more about blending that with perhaps a paid approach, working with some media partners, pushing it out through paid search, and, and that I think is. Um, that that's a a real driver of success for content marketing is how do you make sure that it's amplified effectively and and adding to that there's a huge amount of tech companies these days that you can content distributors um or um amplifiers we work with a couple we um like smartology is a business which has a is basically a media network which has an an algorithm don't they all but um, which puts the right content with the right article. I mean, it's, it's, it's fundamentally contextual advertising. But yeah, so much smarter types of distribution available for content makers now. So you know that when you're making a, a, a wise bit of content, and if you know what the key pillars are behind that content, you can tag it accordingly. And, this, and, and then it would appear within the um, framework, the body of the text of an article online, for example, appropriately. And of course, there are lots of other companies that do that. Mm. I mean, people like Outbrain, Taboola, you know. And, and so, so now you can save money by getting the same results on your media spend and maybe then spending the, um, investing the initial money in actually making sure the ad works instead of the other way around. And, and that's the interesting thing. And then, and then what, where Nigel comes in at the end as well, which is the other really interesting about, you've done all this stuff. You've made a nice bit of content. You've... You've tested it on eye tracking. Then you've done focus groups. Then you've done facial coding. Then you've amplified it through whatever partnerships you have. It could be as simple as LinkedIn or it could be your social media channels. But then what's the ROI uplift generally on the social media buzz? And, and, and that's it. You have your sales results, but you also have what's, how have people been talking about my brand and my product as a result of all of that? And how are you measuring that? How... A, how are you measuring it, and B, how are you quantifying the value of it? Well, I think um, the, the value of it is is for each individual uh, client to determine, I think, to be fair, because there's a variety of KPIs that people set for their business. But fundamentally, unless you build a sense of fame, unless you have uh, some measure of whether people have been moved to you know, intend to do something, some action, then you haven't got any success at all. So our view was uh, quite clearly that if we could pick up the sort of word of mouth conversation, the positivity that may be created by a piece of content through social channels. So if we could map that effectively and then correlate that to the impact on search metrics in terms of people searching and investigating a product, and this can work for, for B2C and B2B, then you've got the beginnings of a, of, a, of, a, of a sort of feedback metric that really makes a lot of sense for a business, a, a real ROI metric, because once you understand how how much further they are along that sort of conversion funnel from just a, a pure OTS, you know, opportunity to see, to one where you move them to 
positivity about the brand and uh, intent, you know, positive intent, then I think you've got something that, that makes a lot of sense as a, as a, as a currency mm -hmm. before you start worrying about sales and, and you know, brand uplift uh, you know, measures and so on. But the key difference here isn't just a, a line. Um, well, first of all, you need to net that, get rid of a lot of the noise that's out there, understand what is a true shift versus where the market just might naturally be uh, or where the noise might take you. But then model that as well and use the type of techniques that you're using in econometrics for sales, but use it on intent um, and social media uplift. And we found that to be incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. You get a very easy, very clear read for an immediate campaign uplift. And critically, um, you can ensure that that you're moving the volume of consumers or you know business contacts through that through that final process. So as we approach the end of the year, it seems a bit remiss not to ask you both for some predictions for 2016. So what do you think are we what what are the main trends that we're going to see in 2016 around content and and what should marketeers do to uh, take advantage of those trends? Well, on the content I, I could probably talk on the content side. You don't need to be a soothsayer to work out the content is going to become more and more important. I think I, I mentioned the term guerrilla content before. Just I think it's it's just an ongoing conversation in content will become vital for for all types of businesses, and and I think it will be it will become the mainstream next year certainly. I also think those technology players that we looked at that help distribute that content. I think there's going to be a huge amount of amalgamation going on because a lot a lot of that tech is VC backed, and I think. There's going to be winners and losers next year as well. I think it's about being smart with data. I think everyone's been talking about big data. Maybe we're getting a little bored of that. But I think it's about uh, smart content uh, in the sense that content that evolves itself around uh, an addressable uh, opportunity with consumers and it's about a fusion of all those different sources of information you know we're going to a, a world of ad blocking and post cookie we've been talking about this for a little while but I think you're going to realize that next year and I think the players the interesting players are those that can adapt um, and come up with you know real smart thinking to be able to look at the fusion between content and consumers uh, like I said consumers whether that's end consumers or, 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 or sort of business content mm. um, and I think the techniques that we're putting out there in terms of visual uh, engagement to campaign effectiveness are going to be very important. And I think it's very important to, for every type of client to get really, you know, very smart in the way in which they're addressing their customer base because it's got to be relevant. You know, mm -hmm. again, like we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, really, you know, you've got to give something back. You know, there has to be a value benefit from every piece of content, every touch point that you use. Otherwise, people won't be engaged by it. And I think that's where the editorial skill comes, but also the addressability, making sure it is relevant. Um, and, and that's going to you know, lead to greater campaign effectiveness ultimately. I really like the idea of smart content, content that evolves. And obviously, yeah. that's a lot about what we've been talking about today. Chaps, thanks so much for joining me on the TechMap podcast today. I had a really, uh, that was a really interesting conversation. I've enjoyed talking to you very much. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch and find out some more about eye tracking or facial coding or smart content or all that stuff we've been talking about? We can go to our um, website, which is vision-network.eu, um, or just Google the Vision Network and, and you'll find us. No problem. I will put that link in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Andy. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And to you too both.
If you enjoyed the show, please uh, rate us on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud or simply share a link to this episode with your friends and colleagues on social media. Thanks very much and I hope that you will come back and listen to the show soon. Otherwise, you can also see videos and slides and a whole lot more on thisistechmap.com. Thanks very much for listening.